In August of 1977, at the Big Ear Radio Telescope in Delaware, Ohio, astronomer Jerry Amon reviewed a batch of computer printouts and was puzzled by a strange pattern in the data. The 72 seconds of readouts were so impressive that Amon circled the signal for his colleagues and wrote the simple word, wow, next to it. The radio telescope had begun its part in the search for extraterrestrial life just four years earlier, and a number of scientists thought they had finally found what they were looking for. They scanned the sky to find that signal again, desperately sweeping the coordinates from where it originated to attempt to find a repeat of the mysterious phenomenon. Unfortunately, no other signal was ever forthcoming, and humans once again were possibly the only life in the universe. Undaunted, Scientists all over the world believe that there is life beyond our solar neighborhood. We just haven't found it yet. This case file joined the theorists as they reach out across the inconceivable infinity of space and find the ideas that orbit around the Fermi Paradox. Case File 223, The Fermi Paradox. I'm Brayden. I'm Zell. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. Before we get going on this, I have a quick 222, the Yuma, Yuma, Yuba County 5 update. Dan, earmuffs. I don't want to get this one. I don't want to No, I'm kidding. So I volunteer with Special Olympics. Uh, every Wednesday we do some powerlifting and stuff. I don't. They do. Um, they, I just carry their weights for them and their towels. He's the fluffer. And, <laughs> and uh, so sometimes the guys uh, want to know what, what we're going to be talking about on the next case file. And, uh, you know, they're, they're interested and... Uh, usually Callum, this, you know, the, the, he's, you know, one of the best power lifters around is in, the guy's insane. He's so strong. Uh, he, he's never too interested. Um, but I was telling him about this and I said, Hey, it's interesting because it has to do with special Olympians like you guys. So I'm kind of telling them the story and they're all like, well, that's weird. That's weird. They're asking all sorts of questions. Well, how do the, why did, how do they get up to the cabin? Like, why, like, did their car get stuck? Right? Everything that we kind of ask. And uh, I, one of the guys goes, hey, maybe they got scared up there by something. Something scared them up there. And I went, yeah, maybe like a Sasquatch or something scared. And Callum scoffed. <laughs> never really talks, never takes an interest in this kind of stuff. Like scoffs. <laughs> and I kind of look and I'm like, what? He goes, you're definitely on down the wrong tracks with that one. And I go, oh, yeah. What do you think? He goes, well, it sounds like you're you're describing a, a Jorogomu. A what? Or Yorogomu. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, oh, you don't know what that is? And I'm like, no, I have no idea what that is. And he's like, he like rolls his eyes at me. And he's like, well, that's a Japanese spider ghost that often takes the shape of a beautiful young woman that lures men to her lair to eat, devour them. And often she's uh, can be seen holding uh, a webbed, like 
cradle that she deceives them to think, makes it think that it's a baby. And I'm like, God damn it. That's perfect. perfect." I was (laughs) like, like literally I was like, I was like writing it down there at the gym. I'm like, what is it? A, you're a, a what? He's like, well, if you Google Japanese spider ghost, like you'll find it. And then he's like, he removes his fucking mask and it's Dan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And he goes, he's like, he's like, I'm surprised that someone who talks about like you, didn't know about this. And I was like, disappointed in you. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. But just crack the case, man. Jorogomo, a Japanese spider ghost. If you think about the, the guy's having a heart attack, he says he saw the five men and a pregnant woman and no one really could account for that woman. Well, a woman with a baby. Woman with a baby. It's a Japanese spider ghost. It's a great, it's a great theory. And he just, he never says much and he just busts out this theory randomly. Yeah, it just perfect. lights you it up. It just solves the case. He's basically it, Sherlock. <laughs> hits you with a nice scoff. Yeah. You never heard of it? Yeah. And then he's like, all right, watch me bench 305. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's great. So anyways, I, I want to give it up there. It was kind of funny. It made me laugh. Uh, now, Fermi Paradox. Uh, this one's awesome because this whole, the whole idea of the Fermi Paradox, like the origins of it. Isn't it is, Fermi? Listen. Melissa listen, family. you're gonna Come you're on. about to sit here and grill me on pronunciation. Melissa, yeah, Melissa. Right? It's, I could I'm barely sure say Fermi. photography the other day. Right? A couple of case files ago. Um, <laughs> what I love about this idea is it's when you read about the origins of it. You know, it's basically like our show, except. You know, four people talking, they come up with this idea, except they're much smarter, more qualified, you they've know, been, hold degrees. They've been to college, they have a couple degrees, PhDs, yeah. all the Won rest. a couple Nobel Prizes. Yeah, yeah just, it didn't Fermi, like Fermi's got, I, like, I can't remember what, I remember learning about it when I was doing my uh, molecular biology. He's got shit named after him. And didn't he work on like the atom bomb or something He built like the first nuclear reactor. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Not bad. <laughs> Pretty good. So I mean, he's got a pretty he's got a pretty good list of qualifications. Listen, hey, talk okay, about but we got so. we have a Dan. Yeah, we're pretty close. Same, same, but different. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's all I'm saying yeah. here, right? Bunch of guys theorizing, having a good time. They come up with the Fermi paradox, and it's one of those things where I don't think like from everything that I read, it it, it didn't. They weren't like, hey, let's call it this. Like, um, Fermi obviously dies in '56. And then it's like this lingering conversation with these other scientists and and stuff. They kind of name this paradox after this conversation that they all kind of recount together. Is that these guys? I'm, these guys are the OG theorists. If there was microphones and podcasts, they would have started it right there, right then and there. Uh, if only, yeah, if only they would have known. It's fun. It, probably would have. It's pretty much. It's like too. the basis for all thoughts and theories about talking about. Well, where are the aliens? <laughs> you know, if they're not, if we haven't found them, where are they? Why aren't they out there? Like, so it just leads, it just leads down. You could talk about it for, for days. You could have a whole podcast in every episode. It'll be a completely different version of the. Events. I mean, people have literally been talking about it for like five decades. It's awesome. <laughs> so and still adding Dan, things to it. Dan, who are the players? Who are the, who are the guys that came up with this theory? Also, uh, you need some fucking Ocean's Eleven music in the background when you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if reports are to believe. So the Fermi paradox in the most simplest terms is pretty much the, is the conflict between, uh, the, the obvious and, you know, uh, obvious clear evidence of extraterrestrial life. We don't have any, we don't have any, you know, 
to our knowledge, we don't have any real solid evidence that extraterrestrial life or life exists anywhere but on planet Earth. Um, but that conflicts with the estimates that are kind of out there that if life exists here on Earth, it it could possibly, and they're you know quite high theoretically. estimates. Theoretically, they're quite high estimates. Like if you put in kind of calculate for the number of what would be potentially habitable worlds that circle or that orbit certain stars and whatnot out in the universe that we've observed, um, there is a high, a relatively high um, probability that life exists in some form or another that we would recognize. Just by well, like the. Go ahead, Zell. So just by sheer numbers, like estimate, just if you just take just our galaxy, because I mean, if the rest of it's pretty much off limits at this point, May, maybe in the future we could over millions of years colonize the galaxies, let's say. But like hundreds, a hundred billion or more stars, let's say. That's like a conservative estimate, I think. And then even if every star only had one planet, that's still a hundred billion other planets. And then you got, so that's the, that's the Drake equation, right? Is that what we're talking about? So, yeah. The, well, the Drake equation is like a further kind of attack on to the, the Fermi paradox where it's like the Drake equation is basically was formulated in 1961 by the astronomer uh, Frank Drake. Uh, and it, it, it essentially, it's like, it's an equation that is the, the number of civilizations in our galaxy with which communication might be possible, um, you know, that are, which are within our current past light cone. Like you could, like if you had flashing light or you were able to, the electromagnetic radiation coming out from our planet that would be able to be interpreted as a message or intelligent life, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he adds in like all of these variables, which are like the average rate of star formation in our galaxy, the average number of planets that can pot that potentially support life per star that has planets times the fraction of planets that could support life that actually develop at life at some point. Da 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 da. da. There's a number of other variables. It's N equals R times FP times NE times FL times FI times FC times L. <laughs> Equals. And these are, yeah. And so these are all different variables of, you know, of whatever. And some of these are actually like, you know, these are changing in real time almost. Like, and it comes to like, um, you know, when Fermi and them, when Fermi and uh, his colleagues were having this conversation, you know, they were just thinking about like planet Earth and, you know, maybe Earth is like a rare occurrence. But now that we've had other things that, like, you know, we've discovered like Trappist and you've seen like there, there could be four or five rocky, uh, planets with liquid on them with atmospheres like earth. And it seems that our planet perhaps is just more common than we thought. So that changes fundamentally changes a lot of these variables that would, what yeah. we're talking about. A lot about. of the readings that I kind of looked into too, with using the Drake's equation in this kind of estimated like, you know, a rough estimate of like, there should be other planets like ours with life like ours and the number could range from between a thousand to a hundred thousand in the Milky Way alone. Well, yeah, you can you can go. There's tons of calculators, so I pulled one up and I put in pretty much. I'll go through, go through it really quick because the numbers are astounding, even if you're a conservative. So, like two number two stars born every year, nine percent of stars have planets. Let's say one number of. Earth-sized rocky planet in the solar system, which used to be thought was incorrect, but now we realize that actually it's probably more common than not having an Earth-sized planet in the solar system. And then if you go, if it's, just say it's an Earth, say 70% of them have some type of life. 
50%, that life evolves to some type of intelligence. 20% of those intelligence species produce some type of communication. And then the average lifetime of the civilization is a million years. That's 12,600 other Earths, just like us, at the same point in time. And obviously, the, the numbers, you can skew them anyway with numbers, but it's just like, if you theorize, if we're Earth and we evolved on this planet in this solar system and all other solar systems seem to be kind of the same, maybe have a different sun, like they have a red dwarf instead of, what are we at? Ours is a yellow. You know what I mean? You're talking about like the red yes, sky Yes, we paradox. do in fact have a yellow sun. We, <laughs> but I'm just saying like a more stable sun, like our, our star is pretty volatile. Yeah. So like even in a more stable solar system, maybe the chance of life is even greater. So yeah, I mean. Well, you start to think of these equations, you're like, man, that's, there's a, this makes, you know, a lot of sense that there could be numerous and numerous and numerous civilizations out there, which then brings for, to Fermi's question of, where the hell is everybody? <laughs> Where the fuck are the aliens? <laughs> right? Because that's what he's attributed to saying at this lunch is they've been having this discussion. He kind of goes quiet. And then at the lunch, he just yells that. Where the hell is everybody? Doesn't make any sense. So the, the conversation is legendary in itself about what they're happening. Uh, apparently what fomented the entire conversation was that uh, a couple of the colleagues, so the the major players that were in it where you had Enrique, Enrico Fermi, you had Emil Konopinski, you had or Konopinski, uh, Edward Teller and Herbert York, which were all working on the Manhattan Project, all had worked on the Manhattan Project together. And yeah, um, I think Teller went on to form Penn and Teller later, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, magic, magic is really just astrophysics, and it's all, yeah. it all yeah, it all meshes together. You get one, you get the other. Yeah. So, um, and they were having a conversation about, uh, as they kind of recall vaguely, about a uh, a comic uh, that was printed in the New York Times, and they kind of dated. They eventually, when they went back and thought about it, they actually found the actual comic. Like they weren't sure about it when they kind of you know recalled the the events like further down the road, and people are talking about it. Um, uh, but it's like a, it was a it was a comic about aliens coming down, UFO coming down, and aliens coming up and stealing the trash cans because New York was having uh, <laughs> New York City was having a problem with disappearing trash cans. I guess people were stealing trash cans. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe that's a rare, about, rare alien metal. The gal galvanized steel garbage cans. Eric, it's got to be that special aluminium. <laughs> I don't know. The fucking English people have it. We don't. Sounds like it's pretty special. And so you, uh, they had this conversation and then they kind of like, you know, where were these? Are UFOs real? It just kind of, you know, it went into that. And then they, they got a little bit more deeper in. Fermi happened upon the conversation apparently. And, um, as they, as they tell it, like, but all of the people who kind of had it, like we have one physicist, Eric Jones, who collected all the written accounts from the three, the three surviving people who were present at that lunch. Um, and the probably the best account that he had was from York and York is quoted as saying uh, of Fermi, of Fermi, he said he went on to conclude that the reason we hadn't been visited might be that interstellar flight is impossible. Or if it is possible, always judged to be not worth the effort or technological civilization doesn't last long enough for it to happen. That was Fermi's conclusion uh, to, uh, to, to tell her who's uh, or York, who was actually there. Um, so a lot of people, like when they think of the Fermi, the Fermi paradox, 
it's usually kind of used this thing. It's like, well, if there were aliens out there, we would have met them already. That's usually kind of the interpretation that a lot of, a lot of people kind of understand the family paradox to do. But um, there are a few articles out there and a few people who have talked, you know, kind of gone through this and that Fermi never says that life isn't possible in that conclusion right there. Firsthand account. It's that maybe space travel is the issue. Right. It's not that life doesn't exist. And so the, the whole notion that the Fermi paradox is kind of used to, to kind of push this, this idea that perhaps, you know, there's no life out there because it would have found us already, or you know, a galaxy-spanning civilization would have already populated most of the universe, and we would have found, and you know, we'd be there, or we would have met them already. Well, what was it? Was it? Uh, it was like three, one to three million years for a civilization to span the galaxy, like, like the moving Milky at yes, yeah, so moving at a certain percentage of the speed of light. I can't remember what the exact yeah. percentage of it they, was, but it'll take like yeah. yeah, a couple million years for a space-faring civilization to colonize. Our and our because galaxy. we're in the we're like in the younger part of the galaxy, there's parts that are you know millions and millions and millions of years older. So that's given life that extra you know time to expand, develop, civilize, become spacefaring. So in theory, you're like, you know, we where where the fuck are they? Uh, and where so are they aliens? Where they? Where did where they go? <laughs> right, and, and so the. The notion that these they're not here, so therefore they don't exist, apparently is attributed uh, to have appeared in print for the first time in 1975 uh, by an astronomer by the name of Michael Hart, claiming that if smart aliens existed, they would have inevitably have colonized the Milky Way. Uh, and then you had in 1980, you know, five years later, you had a physicist named Frank. Tipler, who elaborated on those arguments, and he addressed the obvious question, like, where would anybody get the resources needed to colonize billions of stars? And he apparently suggested the idea of the, the self-replicating universal constructor with intelligence comparable to the human level. So like the von Neumann probes and, and whatnot. We'll talk about those in a second, probably. Uh, but yeah, but I, I would just want to like kind of be clear that like the Fermi paradox, like Fermi didn't come up with it. It's not his idea. And it's a bit misleading. And from some articles that I read, it's like the Fermi paradox was always cited as a way to um, to, to to pretty much like fight funding for SETI. It's like it's always it was always like it's it was, it was brought up in like congressional meet like congressional uh, hearings and stuff about like funding for SETI and like getting federal uh, federal funds for for SETI and those kinds of projects for the search for extraterrestrial life. But people would always bring up the Fermi paradox and, and attaching Fermi's name to it gave it some kind of you know gave it that that it gravitas. It but yeah. it was always like it was always used as an argument against these projects to search for extraterrestrial life you're like well if they're if they're out there they would have been here already so why the fuck should we drop a bunch of money on a bunch of big radio telescopes when there's nothing out there man we'll go spend that money on bombs whatever that's absolutely that's such a way like yeah but at the same time like well maybe we're just not relevant <laughs> you know there were so many other like counter arguments but like well if they're not out here and they're not here then they're not there you're like or they're out there and they just don't care or they're so uh, far away or the center of the universe they would want to come here but then that kind of leads us into our next thing. Cause we're not in the center of our galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> because then we have scientists then who, uh, after, after this initially starts, there's other scientists who start thinking, well, if there's alien life out there, like what, how are we going to classify them? And we've talked about it before the Kardashev scale, right? 
What's his right. name? Nikolai Kardashev. Right. Back in like... Yeah, he was a right, the, Soviet astronomer with and SETI researcher. Right at the start of the Cold War, pretty much. Comes up with the type 0, type 1, type 2, type 3, like civilizations. Type 0 being nothing. Oh, yes. And as you progress from type 0 to type 1, 1 is when you can harness like the power of your planet. Like all... Like, yeah, complete... Like self-sufficient. Yeah, all the tidal, the solar, the geothermal, geothermal, everything. Yeah. And then as you progress from type one to type two, you start now capturing all the power of your sun. And what are we? We're a point nine three. I think point seven three. Point seven. Point seven. Yeah. We're we're doing. We're not doing bad. We're, we're not. We're not bad. We can be, we're, we're getting, we're getting better. better. And that's really. There's good. improvements a, could be made. Hey, we're still failing. Come on. Yeah. And that's really only the last couple hundred years. We've like jumped from like a point zero one to a point seven three. So. And then as yeah. you progress to a point two, yeah, all the power of your sun. And then, so that's, you've controlled your solar system. You're the master of the solar system. You've colonized all the planets. And then from there, then you start- That's like Dyson spheres and shit. Like that's like- yeah. That's that's when you are harnessing the entire energy from the sun, right? Like yeah. That's, yeah. You're, you're building apparatuses. Um, I, I was a little high when I was researching this and I was like- it had to be. Looking up, looking up Dyson spheres, and uh, I was like, "So you build an apparatus around the sun, and then do you live on the surface of your apparatus?" So I was like, "That's just like a planet, man." <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then yeah, from from type two to type three is like you've expanded from your solar system. You are now harnessing the power of pretty much the galaxy. You are now God. Gods. You are. Oh, shit. You've harnessed all physical. You, you've harnessed the, the laws of physics. And Holy fuck. Like, you know, every, you can, you've experienced, you can do everything. If you, if there's well, work. Once you've, listen, once you've harnessed all the power from all the fucking Dyson vacuums yeah. on the planet. Hey, congratulations. You win right? life. You can suck it all yeah. up. Yeah. Congratulations. No you won life. You beat yeah. it. Right. But Dan, there's a, there's that scale, which we've talked about before, but there's also one that we don't talk about very often. Right. So we talk about the Kardashev scale a lot and we talk about Dyson spheres a lot. And, uh, <laughs> but one of the other ones that we found while researching this one is there's another scale called the Barrow scale. So, um, famed science communicator and astronomer, uh, Carl Sagan suggested that civilizations could be classified based on something like information mastery. Right. That's, that's one of the ways that he think. But there was another scientist, John D. Barrow, who introduced uh, a, another interpretation of this kind of technological scale uh, of, of, you know, a harnessing a, a resource. And um, in a 1998 book titled Impossibility, The Limits of Science and the Science of Limits, uh, Barrow showed how technological progress has allowed humans to extend our control over the environment in increasingly smaller scales. So he came up with a, with a scale starting at type one minus. So type one minus being capable of manipulating objects similar in size to themselves. So building structures, um, being able to extract or build monuments and such like things like that goes on to type two minus capable of manipulating alternate and altering the development of living things. So oh. we have organ transplants, studying DNA, genetic engineering. You have type three minus type three minus being capable of manipulating molecules and molecular bonds to create oh. new materials. And then it's type four, you have type four minus type five minus type six minus and type omega minus um, type omega minus 
being capable of manipulating the ba- the basic structure of space and time. And what are we? So like Doctor Strange, like Doctor Strange shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where are we right. on the scale? So I, well, right it, judging by just the description Dan said, I mean, we can we're doing organ transplants, studying DNA. So that's the type two. Yeah. So type three is manipulating molecules. Four and molecular four? bonds. So type four, yeah, type four minus is capable of manipulating individual atoms themselves and creating nanotechnology and complex forms of artificial life. So we're somewhere, so think, we're almost, I think we're three, like three minus. That's where we're at, right? Yeah. We're somewhere between three minus. Three minus. We're, 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 we're on our way to four. We, I think we're closer to four than three. I think we got our best minds. I think so too. We got our best minds studying to be t- type four. So it's coming. Yeah. Like we might be like, we might be like a two point seven or something. Like shut I don't know about up, it. like Dan. creating whole new, whole new, like completely new materials is might be like a little bit out of our reach. Like you ever had a cheese it? <laughs> yes. So that doesn't. That, those don't grow out of the ground. We made that shit. Dan. You did. Dan Andrew. <laughs> so Andrew what? changed a hard drive in his computer, so we're at least a type Absolutely. four. We're yeah. at least type four. Yeah, I'd say so too. Or give us a five, because five is as much as I can get to on these Roman numerals, because that's where the Rockies were fucking numbered. That's all I recognize. The rest, I don't know. Isn't that Rocky Six? Yeah, but I don't think it... I, oh, who, no. First of all, who watched it? it okay, second what? of all, I don't know if they had the Roman numerals on or not. I just had the box set. It's not a true sequel if it's not Roman I know, numerals. I was the worst. When, you know, I'd be watching it with my family. and be like, yeah, grab Rocky Five. I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four. Okay, this one. If they're out of order, you're like, Oh, Rocky beat Apollo like, again. Yeah, yeah, like just give me the, who's he fighting? Who's he fighting? Then I can tell you which one. That was easier. Uh, so, so yeah, there's there's a couple different scales that they've talked about, like the, the mastery of the, the types of resources and, and the environment itself uh, that can be applied to these, these things. And then, so now you kind of get into um, possible resolutions or proposed resolutions, I suppose, to the to the Fermi paradox, right? Where are so they? So about where are they? Why aren't they here? Why isn't they're again galaxy spanning civilizations? Why don't they love us? If the if the if the universe is what like thirteen point five billion years old, this version of it, where are they? You know, so why aren't they? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they communicating with us and with those? And right. what is yeah? It's like where are they? So they call it. The Great Filter or Filters. Well, that's one of them. The great, that's one of them. Well, the, so yeah, so the Great Filters or the Great Filter is maybe maybe life does exist everywhere. And there bec- there comes a time in every every civilization where they face, they face an obstacle too great for civilization to continue, whether that be cataclysm or AI or other, some, something that stops them from prog- progressing to being... Uh, the Federation and colonizing the galaxy. <laughs> you know, you know. Lack of resources. Lack of, or, yeah, they, they exhaust their resources. They can't get up. Like yeah. something, there's something where civilizations rise and fall all the time and they get to the ceiling, the filter, and they can't smash through. So, for example, like some people think that, you know, potentially that there's either two options for us. We've either passed the great filter and we're the first ones through it. So that could be like, you know, not having nuclear war. Uh, <laughs> you know, we didn't create a technology. We didn't push the collider and it just uh, created a black hole and destroyed our planet. Uh, and these things are happened to other civilizations so much that we're just lucky. So we're the first ones through. Or the other idea is that we haven't even reached it yet. So there's a 
probably a good chance that we're doomed. Uh, and that's, you know, whether that be climate change, where you just sit as civilizations compete against other, um, you know, lesser beings and, you know, start to compete for resources. And then, you know, you have cultures competing against other cultures for resources. You eventually get to a point where you just destroy your planet and then you die. Pandemics. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> super bugs and stuff like that. Like that, those are all could be great filters. Um, and one, like if you're looking at the great filter hypothesis, one of the ones that I loved is I was, I was watching a couple of videos. This is one guy he, where he goes like, if we find alien life, if we find out that life's abundant, he goes, if we go to Mars and there's mic- like micro, like microbe life and we find life, on Saturn and we see, we meet intelligent life. He's like, that is all very bad news for us because the more like the more life we find means the likelihood that we haven't yet reached the great filter, which means we're fucking doomed. He's like, you know, he was quite the, like the, the doomsayer. He was like, listen, the only way that's good news for us is if we're the first and there's no one else. Like we, we made it and it's rare. This is super rare. This is the only Good, good, good news. Because we start finding stuff, it's bad news. Yeah. So we have we hit the as humanity have we hit the filter and passed through, or is that? Oh, boys, we hack darts without filters around here. (laughs) All right, we're not worried about that. Is humanity hacking darts without filters for a continued amount of time, or are we almost at the end? That's like the big debate. Like, have we? Like how far can we go? Is is there an endpoint, or already have we passed it? That's that's always the argument. Because if we right, if, there, if we've passed it, there's a good chance others have as well. Smooth sailing, hopefully. We, yeah, I mean, but there's <laughs> there's just as likely that we're not quite there yet, right? Where it's like we're you know we're starting to get to a position where we're going to be facing a lot of new problems, like um, you know how lack of resources on earth uh, for the growing population, um, just how fast we're consuming and destroying ecosystems, um, <laughs> climate change. Like we have a lot Isn't of it- o- big obstacles coming up. So it's like, is this one of those things where, you know, are we in trouble? Does it not feel like that's the impending doom though? Like the way you look at it, like are these natural disasters are coming, they're way shorter into, you know, in between than they used to be. We've got global warming. We've got multiple pandemics. Like, I don't know. I don't remember this kind of shit growing up near as much, but obviously I wasn't well, as... Well, and also just communication and information is so easily and widely shared that you do hear about every disaster like up across the planet simultaneously. But that's that's like that... I don't know what that who did the quote, or maybe it's not even a real quote, but everyone says it's a quote. We're either the only life in the universe or life is everywhere and it's both equally terrifying. Like we're the, either the only ones or there's other civilizations out there and some of them could be predatory. There's there's no way we're the only ones. There's no fucking way. I mean I it's I highly doubt it, but it's that's the that's the age-old debate because you can't find them and that's the paradox. Like, well if they're out there, where are they? And if we can't find them, is there a reason? Is that the great filter like we can only get so far because you know, if you think about it, we've only been really sending signals for what, like a hundred years. 
100. Yeah, and people like to really inflate the the idea that it's like, oh, like we've been beaming out these things and the first radio, you know, the first radio, the TV signal that they're going to receive is the 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 Nazi rallies or whatever of Hitler and stuff like that. And I usually have to kind of kind of have to step back and re-examine that because I'm like those those signals that are being sent out, like they may be reached 100 light years. So maybe oh, like we okay. did like 100 50 light years, something like that. And those signals that have been beamed out and and video like the the TV signals, radio signals, they are they are very attenuated at that point. Like they are uh radio is designed to kind of beam out in like a dome. It's not like a straight shot. So it's not high those, power. Those signals have probably like don't even reach past Jupiter at that point. Like I, they have to get through our atmosphere, have to get what doesn't bounce off the ionosphere and come back down has to get all the way out there like so i unless you're shooting stuff out there i mean people think like radio signals just go out and they just keep going but they actually they weaken over time and you have things like cosmic radiation stuff from our sun whatever like all of that kind of stuff is just like so visitors traveling to earth as they get closer to earth they're gonna be like what the fuck is well they might not even be able they might not be even be able to pick up the signals because they're so spread out and they're just like there's there's all of the interference from just the everything space is just like yeah. it's the the radio signal unless you you send out a signal and even there there are like so the, there's like a companion project to SETI I don't think they're directly they're directly uh, in in tandem but there's another one called METI which is instead of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence it's messaging extraterrestrial intelligence and they Uh-oh. pretty much like rent out radio telescopes and they shoot out like hot they they pick out stars that they believe would probably have a good chance of having like an intelligent uh and in, you know would fit kind of our idea of like where an intelligent uh species might live or intelligence would would develop and they point a very powerful radio telescope there and they shoot it out like a tight beam, like, like they, you know, they put a lot of power behind it so that the chances are that when it gets there, it will be somewhat intact. And that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. But again, that's like throwing, that's like throwing a dart, uh, you know, in, in this whole ocean of things and you have to hope that it hits. Right. Um, So it's like, like you're, you're really See, just like, you're shooting in the dark. Like yeah. you're just like, that I makes hope me it gets feel, there. <laughs> that makes me feel so much better because in my brain, all I can picture is us sending out these annoying ass radio signals and just <laughs> driving somebody nuts. Like I picture these radio signals are making it to planet Vegeta instead of Goku's <laughs> crying. It's these radio signals that are driving Brawly absolutely fucking fast and crazy. And he just cannot fucking wait to get to Earth and smash some ass. Right? Like, that seems like a mistake to me. No. So, yeah. I mean, you can be comfortable in the idea that it's like, I think I think I read in one article where they're like, if they if aliens were picking up the the radio signals that we are that we are setting out, you would need, you'd have to, first you'd have to be looking for them. Uh, and then you'd also need a, like a receiving dish, the size of like the United States or something. And I'm, I might be slightly smaller than that, but you would need like a, a, like a moon size thing Giant. because the, 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 the message, the radio signal would be so spread out. You'd like to catch it. Like you'd need a huge, huge well, and, receiving and dish. And maybe like what we're sending out is so fucking primitive that it's just like, it doesn't even register with someone else that's, you know, even a couple hundred years from now in the future of our technology because technology advances so quickly and so it's exponentially like that right. maybe like what we're sending now is like 
It's like, you know, it's, it's, it'd be basically like jumping on a Morse coder right now, just hitting it be like, I hope help comes soon. I hope <laughs> someone picks this up. Like someone out there has got to know Morse code and you're just so like, no, no one you gives got a some shit. scientists. You got some scientists grays like working on it. Then they have the grandpa gray <laughs> on the fucking rocket chair in the front being like, wait a second. I know what I that is. I what they're saying. <laughs> right, like, so that, so that actually leads into another possible resolution for the Fermi paradox and you have this one called the percolation hypothesis. Damn, we're going to leave on a cliffhanger. Sure. And we'll talk about that. We'll percolate. Grab a quick beer. Yeah, we'll we'll let that one percolate. Let that one percolate. We'll be right back. And we let it percolate. long enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you haven't, so we just talked about how, um, Communication across the vast distances of space is always is has been a problem. Like it's it's always it, for us is a you know a basically an, an audio visual uh, kind of race of uh, organisms. We've always been like it's, it's hard to get that delay. Like you're always going to have that delay with our communication devices. So there's one hypothesis called the percolation hypothesis that was uh, it penned by in 1993 by a NASA scientist Jeffrey A. Landis. He wrote a paper arguing about the consequences of relativity, kind of apply into it, and that perhaps like an exo-civilization would only be able to expand a limited amount throughout the galaxy or in only like certain parts of the galaxy that are conducive to being able to communicate like over these vast distances. So it's like, if even if we spread out a certain way, I mean, you see it in other, in science fiction novels, I think The Expanse is kind of one a good example of like, when you get, when a civilization gets so spread out, like the breakdown in communication, like in in terms of like control and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of like, so you can only, one of the ideas of like where the aliens is like, maybe they haven't really gotten out that far. They've just, they get to a certain spot. They're like, this is good. Um, We can't go any further than this because it would be too resource intensive and they just stay where they are. Or yeah, or that like the group that gets that far out just decides like, we're just our own. Like they don't, they just, they leave the union pretty much. And they just start, they're like, ah, we like yeah. this planet. This is as far as we're going. We're not going to send anything back. We're, we're separated. So like, it kind of just like, it devolves. Like, it's, like your cohesiveness devolves the farther you spread. And eventually you're just like, that's eh, as if that's all yeah. we got. I mean, just like in a logistical, like it's just a logistical challenge to be like, it, it, it is a task enabled that, that it would possibly limit a civilization, you know, resembling ours, uh, if you'd use us as a template, like it would be very difficult for us to maintain like a, a cohesive society or culture or whatever across the yeah, vast you, in space. You, not to mention that, you know, not to, to remind everybody that the universe is expanding out. So yeah, always. Yeah. that goes into another one where it's like perhaps these, perhaps these civilizations are just too far away to contact because we're sending out we're sending out signals or even if we were sending out signals the stuff we're still going like we're still like on our cosmic journey shooting out from the center of the universe still going out so it's like maybe the signals will never catch us in in the in the time that we're looking for them in our brief our brief time as a civilization like the signals this might not get here or the aliens might not get here or they might get here and we're and we're gone and all that's left is our ruins or something Right. I mean, you could have had a signal that came in when the dinosaurs ruled the planet. Like you could, they could have been a signal there, and well, it was we, for a brief we all know second, what happened there. Down. By like, fi- like that was sixty-five. What was that? How many millions of years that dinosaurs were here? Yeah, but you know and what happened, like, Dan? Then, 
reptilians. <laughs> they went, they, no, they, the dinosaurs went I'm to the center like, of the if, earth. If, if a civilization like ours, and it's like, okay, they've only been sending signals for how long? No, no civilization is going to send signals out for millions of years. Yeah, but you can't pick the, up the signal if you're living at the core of the earth. <laughs> right. Problem is, they were sending those signals out back in the Homer Erectus days, and then they they're like, "Okay, they have an answer. We go check them out." They came, to, they come to check us out, and they're like, "Fuck, these yeah, guys nobody are picked idiots. up the phone. Like, these guys are fucking dummies. Dumbs. We gotta get the fuck out of here. This is useless. This planet's useless to us. They're no good. Or they should have waited till we started eating mushrooms. Or they showed up. They found Homo Erectus, not the brightest character. Did a little DNA manipulation. Got us a- aliens. Bingo, bango, bongo. Bingo. You got Fred Flintstone. Look at that. <laughs> Pretty good. And so perhaps they are still watching us. So that goes into the next hypothesis of being the ever popular zoo hypothesis mm. that we are we are on this planet, somebody somewhere is watching us and either are just like kind of um they don't want to contact us for some reason. They're just like, are they just watching us? I think I mean I've thought about this one before where it's like if you have these types of super civilizations that are all this thing, like they wouldn't really care. It's like we, we're we're sitting on our planet, and if it has nothing to do with them, chances are, you know, if 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 you're going to talk about the 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 myriad of ways that life could possibly develop, and it probably yeah. doesn't even resemble anything possibly that we could perceive or imagine in our heads. But they're like, we don't even show up as a blip. They're just kind of like, well, just leave them there. If they learn how to travel, you know, at a certain speed of light, it's very very Star Trek first contact, where it's like until we break. Break the warp barrier. We're not really a, a threat, or in a, you could be considered a, a contribution to contribute anything to yeah. the Federation. So we would we don't need to contact them. They're not. One they're the not a concern. Th- one of the things I kind of had when I think about the zoo hypothesis is, I I like your theory, Dan. But the where my brain always goes to is that you know we here on Earth we have all our you know our fancy recording equipment, our computers. Uh, and there's still other humans on islands that we leave uncontacted. And we go, ah, let them son of bitches just live their lives, right? Leave them alone. Because you don't want to get shot with arrows trying <laughs> hey, to teach them about Jesus. Don't, don't show them. Don't show them what we got, right? Just let them live their lives. Like we could make their lives exponentially better. We're just like, nah, no contact. Preserve their way of life. So like when I think about the zoo hypothesis, I just extrapolate that. Like we're we're sit back like looking at these guys you know in their with their spears and stuff we're like ah humans look at these humans or like other us just yeah, but past versions you, and i think then in that case in that there's we have there's spacefaring humans humans are not a, a rarity and there's just way more technologically advanced humans that go look at these motherfuckers on earth <laughs> look at these guys with their stupid focus straight audio boxes you don't think that there would be like a Jane Goodall of that fucking group that's like, I'm going to go live with these fucking apes. Maybe there I'm is. I'm going to go see how it goes. I'm going to go there move was. in we and see how it goes and study them firsthand. And, well, maybe they're, here right, you know? maybe they're here right now studying. Well, so, I mean, so if you, if you go down that road, then, I mean, that kind of, I think that fundamentally changes the entire kind of situation where it's like, if there is another civilization that exists, that's observing us and we put that into our equation or Drake equation, whatever, that's not only do we have one planet of intelligence, you have another intelligence and then exponentially that's like everything. So that would make, 
that would pretty much like set it all out of whack. And then that would kind of yeah. set the, the levels of life existing in the universe way higher. So then perhaps like, yeah, we wouldn't be a rarity. So it just kind of be like, yeah, you come across an anthill and you know, you have a different kind of, I mean, they perhaps have a very different, they can have a completely different view of what intelligence is, mm-hmm. right? Or they're not even able to communicate with us. They're just, it could be a completely different type of, you know, maybe they communicate by, you know, light. Maybe they communicate by a completely different, they don't have voice boxes. Uh, yeah. They could have something, they can, they, they, they communicate to the EM spectrum. They could like, you know, which would be a, a, a good way to communicate over long distances. You're using light instead of sound. Yeah. You, I mean, instead of your radio signals. like Optical communication. So, I mean, the, the, I mean, it's just those kinds of problems that you kind of run into in some of these things. It's just, yeah. Well, yeah. But so that's one of them. We always come across the zoo hypothesis of people saying that's the reason for alien abductions or just kind of poking around at us and, and looking at us and, and whatever. Um, and so like on, the, on to the idea that perhaps outside of Earth, like life exists on a completely different type of wavelength than ours like we you know if anything like humans us bipedal you know uh bipedal creatures with all our five senses all kind of linked up here in our in our head and on our fingers and stuff um are are the rarity we're the outlier and perhaps you have places like icy planets like enceladus and europa and these worlds that could have frost giants they could have planet-wide oceans so this leads into the idea of the the water world, right? So you have these. Nope. The, if you imagine just the oh, that seventy five percent, seventy five seventy percent of our world's surface is covered by water. Yep. Right. And perhaps I mean, maybe terrestrial life was a fluke, an accident, right? Maybe life is supposed to develop in the ocean where there's a lot more space, well, there's a lot more resources. Are you there's going all these things? Are you going to mermaids, Dan? I mean, it could, I mean, oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Life could look like that. They, You've they, piqued my interest. Men as well. I yeah. mean, think about, think about deep sea life. It communicate, like they communicate and how they communicate by light and mostly in things like that, like a phosphorescence and oh. bioluminescence and things like that. I mean, it'd be, a, and then also the resemblance between deep, o- deep, dark oceans and space travel wouldn't be, it'd be kind of the same types of whatever. Okay, uh, so that if we're if we're talking about a water world then, like let's say that like intelligent life like us could possibly live but they live underwater. Mm. That's where we're getting like dolphin people, um mermaids, mermen. Then Man I kind worse. of extrapolated to that that makes terrestrial life and what we're accomplishing very rare because a great filter to me would be leaving the water to become terrestrial. Like, so now like, Hey, like, you know, here we are on land. We can do apparatus. We can go back underwater. And not only are we leaving the terrain of the water to the land, we're now leaving the land to go into space. So I'm like, we like, if we look at it that way, I'm like, okay, well, we're ex- like exponentially better than dolphins. Right. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Humans, we're not way as better cute, than dolphins. But we're still pretty. Uh, right. So, but so maybe the filters. thing is, is they don't have to leave their planet. It's perfect. Right? You have all of this space. You have all of the resources that an ocean planet would provide you. Like you're able to, you know, deeper. If there's less land, like there, there's some scientists out there saying that perhaps like rocky planets that have like a a thirty seventy, uh, you know, uh, rocky surface to to ocean covering 
planet like ours is the rarity and that perhaps it's more like there's more ocean, more water covering planets and less rocky surface or whatever that could, that could possibly, that's possible. And then if you have life growing up on these planets, you know, developing on these planets, they would live in the oceans and they wouldn't have to leave. They don't have to go anywhere. And they don't have us fucking up their ecosystem. I like, I like thinking about like that. Maybe like us as humans say there's is intelligent life everywhere. But they have their intelligence is different. They're less like they're not so like we're, we're a very introspective species. Like we're always thinking about ourselves and what we've done and what we could do better and what we'll do next. Maybe they're intelligent as in like they have great kind of like an ant colony. You know, they're very, very great builders. They know exactly what they need for food. They can survive pretty much anywhere in their habitat. There's no need for ants to go. They're like, you know what we should do. You see that pond there? I think it'd be cool if we try to develop technology and see how deep we can get into that pond. So maybe like humans have just hypothetical. We're the only ones who like stare up into space and like, you know what we should do? We should leave this awesome, perfect planet that was developed perfectly for us and try and shoot ourselves way, well, way into the void. Yeah, instead of destroying what we already have, we should try and fucking <laughs> just enjoy it and treat it well instead of well, trying to look elsewhere. But maybe that comes from evolving to... Yeah, like a like having to know scarcity in these say like an ocean world, you know, where they have this abundance of resources and what they need. They're they haven't had the same kind of survival instincts in grade that that we have, where we're competing heavily with you know other other species than other cultures uh, for resources and stuff. So it's like this idea of scarcity has kind of driven us to where we are now, and maybe that like. You know, Zelda said, like maybe you can live a little more cohesively if there was no chance of that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I feel like we're the ones that are causing most of those issues ourselves. But hey, wolves had their chance. They bowed. They bend the knee. Right? <laughs> we're the lions they could have us all with their faces. <laughs> yeah, they didn't, and they decided not to. They decided to eat our scraps. I mean, like Brayton says, yeah, the, the whole idea that this idea of scarcity and these things, like, like we could get into a whole entire conversation about where the, where this is, this, this idea arrived culturally and temporally, like in our history and stuff, which is a fairly recent, like, like in terms of our entire existence as the human species, like it's a fairly recent kind of thing. If you go back just to the time when Native Americans where I'm, you know, I'm not saying that all Native American uh, societies were perfect or whatever, but the way that some of them lived and interacted with their environment seemed very sustainable. And some of these mm -hmm. ways that they they kind of leave nothing behind, nomadic species, maybe in a different, you know, different universe, different time. If if it hadn't shaped out the way it was, we'd still be living like that. Yeah, but I, and even if that happened, you get to a point where the alien. population would get big enough to have like you're going to run out of resources either way. I mean, if you're very, if you use them perfectly, you know exactly like how much the land can support. So um, another another so kind of moving on to that is so we get to another. Uh, idea that it's like okay, so p population might be a problem, right? We have a we have a bunch of people, we have too many people, um, something like that, or maybe a, an extraterrestrial civilization reaches a point where um, they can pretty much. Uh, next idea is like okay, maybe we don't need physical bodies. Physical bodies take up too much space, too many resources. So uh, next best thing, upload your brain into the supercomputer. 
We're already kind of like thinking mm. about that, and that technology is kind of well, you seems to be on the horizon somewhere that we're going to be like, we're gonna have. You know, hundred yeah, hundred percent, man. I this is one theory that I was kind of like running with, where I was like, okay, well, maybe we don't see these other civilizations because there isn't that much of a need to explore. Like, say, if you get to a point where you have good enough AI and you build a super like even just as a type one civilization where you're harnessing the power of your planet to run your, you know, supercomputers that everyone, like everyone that's left of your non AI just uploads their consciousness and they can live in bliss for the, for the next hundred thousand years. Why, what's the need to travel? Like, especially it's like, what we don't, why do you have to colonize another planet when you can colonize infinitely in some sort of digital world. But that still takes massive amount of energy, right? Like, you think about it, like, I, the, what goes to my brain, like my brain needs a, my, or my brain, my computer needs a fan, right? It creates a bunch of energy, right? Like, so they'd still have to, they'd still be burning resources, wouldn't they? Yeah, like, but, you control but, your but if you think, so that, yeah, getting, that's, that's the efficient. idea behind what's called a, a matryoshka brain, uh, which is a hypothetical megastructure that would basically be powered by a Dyson sphere. So you'd have the entire sun powering this giant stellar engine uh, that would run your computer drive systems. But I, see, I, like, I guess I think about it this way too, which is kind of interesting. It's like in in my brain, anyways, and I, like all of ours, immediately you go to the fact like I have to be able to reason with this, right? Like what makes sense to me? Where are they getting the energy back from for this? But at the same time, we're talking about a civilization that's supposedly you know mastered extra um, you know intercellular travel, that type of shit. So it's like <laughs> intercellular. It's like, Sorry, not intercellular. That's the maybe. greatest Rickyism I've ever heard. Yeah, you like that? I love it. So, yeah. anyways, like the, the, they're basically what I'm trying to say is their their technology is far more advanced and powerful, right? Oh yeah. So it's it's like giving a fucking Homo erectus a Game Boy. He'd look at that fucking thing, and I can't even. There's no way he'd he no, would, have no idea what he to would do with throw it. Throw so back at you. How how are we supposed to even fathom the type of technology that they have and how they can get to it? It's a good point, right? Like that's. But, but we can. So we can kind of think about if you if you pull it into our. I mean, that's pretty much what physics does. It's like, at least in our thing, because in well, our I'll, physics, I'll, though, right? Right. I know. Well, yeah, we, yeah, I'm getting to that. Where I was going to say, like, perhaps our physics, the the way that the universe works, or how the the laws of physics, thermodynamics, and all that stuff is parochial. Maybe it's like it's regional to our. It's our type of space. Our our math only works here in on Earth, in this solar system, in this galaxy, or in this section of the galaxy. In this dimension. I, well, there's an idea that I'll talk, well, I guess I'll just talk about it now. There's, there's, a, great, there's, a, great, um, there's a great book called uh, Fire Upon the Deep by Werner Vinge. And um, it talks about, he basically organizes the galaxy. It's set in our galaxy in like a part of the Milky Way. And uh, his idea is that perhaps like interstellar travel, like... Um, like, uh, no, like it's, interst kinda, it's intercellular, well, well, intercellular actually. Travel. Right. It's um, intercellular. It, perhaps what, what limits societies and, and cultures from being able to, to travel between certain areas of our galaxy or something, maybe why you only, you would only find life in certain regions is because that there is some type of density of of thought or you could call it density of, of something that we haven't found yet. And this kind of fits into like the missing variable idea of like quantum physics and relativistic physics that there just is something that as you get closer to the center of the galaxy, then like 
physics doesn't work the same. So you would have like it, like exponentially increasing resistance and like thermodynamics. So like our technology, if you reached a certain point, all of the technology that we develop based on the physics and the math that we have now doesn't work. Just stops working. Uh, our brains wouldn't work. Like you would, you would cross a certain line in the galaxy, and your brain would just shut down. You become a drooling idiot, and you just like you're because your brain doesn't work in that in those it's like in going without quadrant. atmosphere like you pull yeah. the air out your body doesn't know how to function without air hmm. you're dead <laughs> so you would have like you'd have very very simple like monocellular life maybe in the center of the universe on the outside like where we sit kind of in that area you would have you'd be able to uh, some semblance of technological, whatever, like kind of like the depths of the ocean where, you know, the lower you go, the kind of the more pressure pressure gets right. So something like that, maybe it's similar like that, where we, as you get closer to the center of like a supermassive black hole, right? This, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. And it it breaks down at, uh, even at a little, like a distance we don't even fathom. So like you're saying, it would make sense to me that like, yeah, you just so have then, like building yeah. blocks, like tardigrades. So right? all of That's your it. super intelligences and all your stuff would live on the very farthest parts of the galaxy on the very outside because that's where it's like the, the density is least amount, like the resistances fl- like float, like kind of drift off, you know, uh, kind of slope off. And then you'd be able to build these, these, you'd be able to build new materials and things like that. It'd be easier to manipulate uh, energy and all of these things. So you have access to all this stuff. So, you know, that's, that's one of his ideas and it's a, it's a really cool book. Um, good story. And so, um, that kind of, that's a fucking brings, good, that's cool. Theory. That's dope. So that brings up the idea of, um, you know, perhaps like we were talking about, like you have, this technology that they have uploaded their brains and right. And they've having this thing and they need energy. Right. But they figure out that it's like, well, we need energy uh, and, and we won't be able to, to explore the universe or we've already explored it. And um, like the energy would probably be less required to do whatever by, they want to maximize the computational power of their, their computers and things like that. So what they do is they upload their brains into a cyber thing a storage you know cold storage and they this is the like the hibernation or the estivation uh hypothesis so i learned that hibernation estivation are two different things hibernation is when this was created by fucking uh andy sandberg's swedish cousin (laughs) andrew sandberg right (laughs) <laughs> I read all about this. I learned it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Look it so, up, yeah. Anders Sandberg. I believe you. Tells us about. I don't know. I'd like. I. I, well, I yeah, thought my. Andrew. I thought my headphones cut out. <laughs> what happened? I thought. I thought Andrews was. Yeah, I thought Andrew was about to drop us some knowledge bombs. Like I just did. And <laughs> fucking Andy Sandberg's cousin, Anders Sandberg, created this fucking hypothesis. <laughs> what more do you want to know? Oh, I would like to know what the hypothesis is. I can explain it to you if you want. Yeah. Let's hear it. As the universe cools, the potential work (laughs) producible by stored energy can increase by multiplier of 10 with a small 30 above it. I think that's squared, right? Close enough. Landier's principle. If the goal of an advanced civilization is to maximize the number of calculations done to generate information processing for tax like mass-producing simulations, then estivation would be purposeful to achieve this end. All right, so now tell me like I'm stupid. Uh, so the guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah, yeah, his Swedish cousin came up with the fucking cool hypothesis. 
You're welcome. All right, perfect. And it needs 10 to the 30 energy. Yeah. Fuck yeah. All, All right, right, next one. Next. Pretty much broke it down for you, didn't I? Hmm. So now you have uh, an- another one, another possible idea is that there is the transcension hypothesis. <gasps> so this was... Pr- this was uh, brought, proposed by a pretty smart guy named John M. Smart, uh, who's the CEO <laughs> of the Foresight University. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, that's um, my kind of humor. That's perfect. Yeah. And so uh, it, it's quoted, like, simply it's like this. The transition hypothesis proposes that a universal process of evolutionary development guides all sufficiently advanced civilizations into what can be called inner space, a computationally optimal domain of increasingly dense, productive, miniaturized, and efficient scales of space, time, energy, and matter. So this is where you get, like we talked about the Barrow scale before, that if you're able to manipulate energy and so energy and the forces of space and time in such a fundamental way, you, you don't have to go anywhere. Your everything is, is there. Like you, you Wait, go beyond. Dan, are you trying to tell me ours? that this theory is... Like uh, Rick's quantum carburetor. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Thank you. No, yeah. Not even yeah. that. That's exactly what it is. Not not even that. So there's so there's another great science fiction fiction book called like uh what is it called the uh, the reality dysfunction I think and um th- this one talks about like a certain. It, it, it proposes like a hypothetical planet where it's like on this planet, it has, uh, it, it's, it's basically like a moon, it's considered like a moon of Jupiter, right? But it spins on like a super fast, it spins like pretty yeah. super quick. Um, the atmosphere and stuff is thin, but it's there. It's got a really unique kind of uh, like electromagnetic uh, uh, interaction with the, with the gas giant that it goes around and it has like this really charged atmosphere. But the, the, the the surface is a hellhole. It's like basically you get like you get like a couple months of like this weird like kind of rainy season stuff and and the time for life to to develop and then you get these crazy storms that just rip everything off like down to the bedrock right and and nothing is left but just like mud and you know very basic components of life. So a, a form of life evolves on this planet where essentially it has like two about like three forms. You have like the very like. Um, like a tadpole kind of form, whatever. Uh, then they grow into like a type of tree. And then these trees, they are able to harness the, uh, or kind of like sync up with the electromagnetic like uh, phenomenon that goes a thing and basically move their entire consciousness as a thing. They move up into it. What? And then they become like just a, a gestalt consciousness that they, they all kind of populate with all their consciousness kind of sit inside of this, this plane. And they're able to kind of extend out from there. So it's mm-hmm. like you there. Yeah. So it's, it's, it could every be something so often, like that. Like every they, few episodes are like, this isn't even my final form. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it's, you could, it could have something like that where the, the conditions for life push a species to do that because it, it, it's a res- evolutionary response on the planet because life, the life cycle is so short that and the life, it has to find a way, uh, you know, life and finds it, a way life finds a way and it just, you know, they, they end up like being able to kind of pick out their way into the, into the, and they travel the stars just as this giant kind of consciousness with still having like a connection to the planet, like, and they kind of move out around the, around now the could that be like, you think, you know, when you see, hear people that are like, you know, they say they're in tune and they get these like transmissions from these 
you know, aliens that are in this Zeta Reticuli and stuff like that. Could this be, you know, perhaps something like you're describing where it's like, maybe they're not receiving any signals, but it's, it's, they're receiving a signal from a consciousness that lives life like you're describing. Well, that's like the like universe is consciousness kind of theory. So mm-hmm. you figure out a way to become that. And that maybe allows you to travel through the universe in a different, like you're not traveling now through oh. by, 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 Buddy, by propulsion. Galaxy Wi-Fi, man. We so just got to figure out the fucking Wi-Fi, baby. We so got to figure a- out the what, password. There's the I can't remember the name of it, but I've talked about it before. But there's the HP Lovecraft story where there are aliens that essentially like they do the kind of same thing. They they evolve past their physical bodies, but they're able to project their consciousness not through just space, but also time. And so they kind of fling it out. And sometimes they will find minds like ours, perhaps. And they like in the story, they kind of one of the consciousness gets in contact with the human and starts kind of like taking over his mind. Yeah, I've, I've heard this Thetans. <laughs> With, yeah, but it's, it's except Thetans, like Thetans were invented in after the HP Lovecraft story. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's kind of like one of those things where it's like if you don't have a need for like a physical body, it could be transcendent hypothesis. Like maybe they don't even again they aren't able to communicate with this, which kind of. Also leads into another one called the Aurora hypothesis, where mm-hmm. it's like perhaps extraterrestrials like. They see our planet, but our planet is so fundamentally different. And we as a species are fundamentally different to them that they just, they're like, it's, we could go here, but it's not suitable for us. Well, we're very biological creatures, right? So like we have a very specific standards for how we like environment we can live in. If you change just like oxygen content by a little bit or CO2 or nitrogen by a little bit, like you get slowly poisoned. Even even astronauts who have been looking out there, like they've done the long term studies now, they have enough data to kind of talk about. Like space travel fucks you up. Like you long term staying out there, they're saying like it permanently damages like a lot of their blood vessels and things like that. So we're just not like we're not adapted to it. We're not built for it. We're we're built for our gravity. Of, of Earth, like, yeah. So very. No. Whenever we talk about how like adaptable humans are, but it's like still you're you're kind of like we're extremely <laughs> like on this planet. planet yes, <laughs> extremely adaptable. Now, yeah, for our planet. One of the things I was just kind of popped in my head is when you're talking about this like this consciousness that just drifts off. I I was a thought kind of popped in my head that maybe maybe it's one of those things where it's like these beings like us that can receive a consciousness that like, you know, are, are are rare. And so much like a sperm race, like a bunch of sperm races for an egg or whatever, these consciousness drift and they find a planet like ours where a species like us has come around where we can now, we're like an empty node for these things. That's Scientology, isn't it? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's what I believe. So, uh, want, Brayden's going to be giving seminars, uh, yeah, you know, he, next week. Uh, so, if you want to pay fifty dollars a pop, come in there. Yeah, you just uh, go to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Alien Theorist Theorizing. I will help you clear most of the themes so you can get to your main one. <laughs> he joined the global consciousness. <laughs> follow Brayden's four-step plan. Tom Cruise going to be there? Well, maybe later on <laughs> once you get to level six or seven, <laughs> yeah. a celebrity level. Mm. yeah i like that theory though i mean yeah if if we do go somewhere the chances like it we'd have to have really good like reconnaissance of that planet and know exactly the makeup and the like exact grab like we, we would need to know a lot to make sure we could survive 
or we, we would have to terraform. Ter- well, even that, but even this like microorganisms, even that, like the, just the, the 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 like the planet, like the mineral composition of the planet, like it could be like barely radioactive or something like that. Where it's like it, that's what it I mean. Gives you need, some you need, type of radiation. You would need something. really good reconnaissance of the planet. Yeah. Or how about this? You just drop a couple megaliths that hide the, you know, that you know, uh, eventual and intelligent race will find, and you leave the secrets of knowledge mm. contained in it in the in the structure of it, and you just drop a germ bomb of the necessities of life, and you just walk away, and you go, life is going to pop up. We've given the building blocks, and we've left them the tools for when they can understand how to use them. It's like fucking Prometheus. Which is like the yeah, sentinel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, they come here, drop off life, off they go. Cause like that to me, like that would make that that would make the most sense of like for you to just be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna expand human existence. I, again, like again, like we've talked about the hurdles of interstellar travel, the distances, like we're just not built for it. So it's like, well, if you can't, you know maintain like our human civilization maybe it's just important at a point where you're just like well we should just keep trying to build life and leave them with the knowledge that we had somehow yeah but like so we were saying like these the these intelligent life forms that are able to travel to our planet are dropping things these things off like why wouldn't they send type of some type of intelligent age uh, AI that has the ability to like cr- you know carry their DNA with them and create like test tube fucking babies and then boom you've repopulated this hopefully repopulated this planet with your species like maybe they could do that with like send out vast fleets of these right and just repopulate as many planets as they can that's a good theory maybe. yeah I like that I mean, there would be, I mean, there's plenty of chance. I mean, we talked about like von Neumann probes. So that's one of the other ones that we talk about. Oh, it's called like the, uh, sorry, there's the one they called the berserker theory, which is my favorite one that I came across. The berserker Berserker. theory comes from- Berserker. Sounds fucking badass. So the berserker theory uh, is essentially the idea that, okay, if you had these self-replicating, you know, automata and- yeah, uh, robot probes, AI probes, kind of you would shoot out. So any technologically advanced uh, civilization might be like, well, we'll just send out these pro- these unmanned probes to go out, like we were saying, like we were just talking about, um, to go and replicate. They'll go to a planet, they'll terraform it, whatever. But on the off chance that this uh, civilization has come to the conclusion that we need to get rid of all the other life because I mean, it's either it's like a matter of their, their culture or they'd be like, we just want to be able to maximize uh, the, the space that we're able to live in. You know, the berserker theory it being that you could, that, that this AR and AI pro could go rogue and just be like, Hey, fuck it. I'm just, I'm just ripping everything up. Like all life, destroy it all, whatever. Ultron probes. Um, uh, so that's one that came across, like, um, I guess, a berserker well, theory. It was around 1948 or 1949 uh, that that kind of came around. You had the, I think, von Neumann probes kind of came a little bit later. But you had this idea that perhaps, like, even these these unmanned probes would go around just, like, ripping up planets. Well, and to to build on that, like, one of the things I, I had read before, too, is that on the berserker theory is that some people think that maybe we're a byproduct of that and that that's exactly what doing that's what we're doing is we tear like our species is just our it's ingrained in us to extract as many resources 
possible. Make the planet hotter. Like we we're just naturally doing a terraform, not even knowing it. And we're doing our a life really cycle, bad job. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, our life cycle, just like as we dest- as we kill the planet for us to survive, whatever takes its place is like that's what. Yeah, maybe they survive on they islands want. of plastic oh, so in the ocean. <laughs> we're like a fucking virus being infected on the planet. Sure. Yeah, I've heard that theory, right? That's interesting. Uh, yeah, so the, the Berserker theory is, it has its own kind of derivatives and the, what the most recent one being the dark forest hypothesis. So people oh, really I like fucking, that one as well. Dude, I hate this one so much because it makes me so terrified and uh, it makes me like I was like I'm like we need to kill everyone like if we see them we have to kill them, <laughs> buddy Cobra Kai, Cobra yeah. Kai strike first strike, strike first strike hard no mercy yeah baby, a hundred percent dude if you yeah. listen to this theory and believe anything like f- like the vastness of of time like the the way that I had it spelled out a couple of times is like if you if we find a civilization and we're like, Hey, there's a civilization there, you know, and we're going to send some people to go visit it. The distance it would take to go visit it. By the time we get there, their technology may have leaped like tenfold. By the time we get there, they could be aggressive and then want to destroy us. And now not only are we there, they kill us. And then they're like, all right, now we need to, where did these guys come from? Where did they come from? Now we need to instantly attack because, you know, it's, it's terrifying. Like it, the, the idea is that you're a hunter in a dark forest and you, you don't know if there's anyone else around. And if you see another hunter, you're not sure if they're nice and Hey, like, you know, they have a gun or they have a bow and arrow. If they see you, are they going to shoot you? So is it, is it safer for you to just shoot, shoot them first or just, Dude. just stay silent in the start? Like just be as tight, as quiet as you can. Like, like as a hunter, like, your breath, everything, your footsteps, you try and be as silent as possible and tip as a civilization, tiptoe through life without giving away your position in the galaxy because to a potential predator race. Oh, dude, so I read this, I read this little excerpt from a book that literally like I peed a little. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, listen to this. So this is from the book, The Killing Star by Charles Pellegrino and George Zabrowski. It was published in 1995. And this is the section that kind of describes this theory. And it says, imagine yourself taking a stroll through Manhattan, somewhere north of 68th Street, deep inside Central Park, late at night. It would be nice to meet someone friendly, but you know that the park is dangerous at night. That's when the monsters come out. There's always a strong undercurrent of drug dealings, muggings, and the occasional homicide. It is not easy to distinguish the good guys from the bad guys. They dress alike and their weapons are concealed. The only difference is intent and you can't read minds. Stay in the dark long enough and you may hear an occasional distant shriek or a blunder across a body. How do you survive the night? The last thing you want to do is shout, I'm here. The next, the next the last thing you want to do is reply to someone who shouts, I'm a friend. What, <laughs> what would you like to do? Would you like to find a policeman or get out of the park? But you wouldn't want to make noise or move towards a light where you could be spotted. And it is difficult to find either a policeman or your way out without making yourself known. Your safest option is to hunker down and wait for daylight, then safely walk out. There, of course, are a few differences between Central Park and the Unifors. There are no police. There is no way out. 
and night never ends. Oh, that's oh, right. terrifying. Right? Dude, Ooh, the other th- a little again. The other thing that I learned looking up this one is that like, uh, if there was an advanced species that w- operated under the guise that we need to strike first, we need to strike fast, we need to strike hard and kill no everyone. No because mercy. you can't leave survivors for vengeance because you, with the vastness of space and time, you might be giving these this civilizations a hundred thousand years to build technology and army before you know they come after you or or, or whatever. So it's like one of the things I was watching was like earth ending bombs. One thing that I found fascinating is like you could have an earth ending bomb that's the size of the human as long as you project as long as it's traveling about ninety five percent of the speed of light, you just <laughs> shoot it at a planet, planet's dead. Yeah, it's just a kinetic like, weapon, yeah. Yeah, boom, dead. Like, I mean, just we a, have, we, just yeah, a, we have you a just shoot a bra- You shoot a Braden out of a cannon at 95% of the speed of light. Motherfucker, I'm an earth-ending event. There is a, there is a, oh, yeah, there is dude, a concept a for a satellite, that like a Galactus. defense satellite, that was like, a, that it's basically, it's just these giant, huge rods of tungsten, and it would drop them into, or, like, into low yeah, Earth orbit, yeah. and you could drop that, and it's basically a nuclear bomb. It just yeah. like dunk, like it just slams what, in the ground with such they call speed those? that you're like, what, what uh, they, rod of God I, or something or something yeah, like that. I can't remember the name. We talked about something. it before, but yeah, it was yeah. a concept for some time a space based weapon where they would just drop those. Except it'd be like impossible to get those ro- rods into space because they're so heavy. <laughs> the, That's our big problem. Like when looking at the dark forest hypothesis, like literally, like the only way forward, like it, it may. <laughs> There's Jordell. Hey, Jordell. Hey, come sit down. Jordell. Jordell. Hey, let's replace Andrew on the show. We should. Jordell's way more interesting. Andrew's sister she's popped even, into the camera. Even, she's, she's banging around. Attention. She's trying to get a fucking hair dryer, it looks like. Yeah. Hey. Come here. Jordell, come here. Come here. No, come here. <laughs> on to the show. I can't hear you guys if you're yeah, talking. Come. Put the headphones on. Put the headphones. We were trying to get Jordell to replace you. He's not doesn't, oh, he doesn't have headphones, headphones in. in. We were trying to get Jordell to replace you on the show. She wasn't uh, picking up what we were putting down though. Oh man. <laughs> um so as I was saying, like the dark the dark forest hypothesis, like when I was looking at this one, I was like, man, the only way forward is silently, carefully. And if we see a civilization, we cannot contact them. We cannot. Because even if you contact them, you're like, hey, we're friendly. By the time you message and get that point across, it might be too late. They might already be like, ah, we don't know what they're talking about. Kill them. So like th- the only way forward out of like the dark fourth hypothesis is if you meet a like some sort of federation where it's like a, a group of already like a coexisting group. And you're like, okay, can I join you? Can I be in your hunter clan in this dark forest? Cause everything else is fucking terrifying. And it like, when you think like about survival and you think about how humans are, could you imagine if there was a race for a second where we're like, we've met these things on Mars. We can't really talk to them. We're not sure we're killing them. Like they're we're we're killing them. Like let's not yeah, be dude. look how we treat each other. Yeah, like they're, like they're neighboring they're countries of the same yeah. species. We fucking blow them to pieces. But that's the same. So if like if if life kind of evolves the same kind of route, we're kind of going to run into it, other life. 
it would mean that they're fucking dangerous, just like we are. <laughs> so then our only option is like, okay, well, we're obviously not going to get along here. And unfortunately, it's you or us. So we're competing for the same resources. Sayonara. Here comes the Braden bomb. Dude, you shoot a Braden out of that kinetic fucking interstellar yeah. uh, rail gun. You're taking out more than just an Earth, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Taking out fucking solar <laughs> system. Fucking dragon bomb. <laughs> yeah. You, you, wait for, you wait for all the planets to line up. You just shoot it right through the whole thing. So pretty much what we're saying with the dark forest is we're out there. We're listening all the time for, for signals. And we are sending in some, like we're, we're emitting signals. Are they reaching other places? We don't know, but we should be doing a better job maybe of not send, sending it. anything. We should just stop. <laughs> we should not try to contact anyone after reading that fucking excerpt from that book. Stop When it. you start getting into the dark force hypothesis, I go like, maybe we shouldn't be broadcasting anything. Like we should just be listening. We should be listening for others and then kill them. And, and preparing. When we find them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then murder them and yeah. take their stuff. So, Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds pretty mug fucking them. We human. should mug we, them in the dead of the night mug, is what yeah, we should. Yeah. So, intergalactic muggings. That's what, that's what, human, that's what human, yeah. humans have to do. And steal all their technology. Hmm. Yeah, I like it. Me too. Those are mostly your interesting ones. Yeah. There, there's still more. Like I said, this is, or like we said before, the, the Fermi paradox is... I mean, it's not really in in the end. Like, it's not really a paradox. It's just kind of like it's it's a question that that Fermi kind of posted, being like, "Well, you know, why are why aren't more interstellar travel going on? Like, why doesn't that happen? Not that life doesn't exist." Um, and so it's been talked it's been talked about, and it, and and scientists keep adding on to it. The more information, the more stuff we, more information data we gather about our oh. universe and our galaxy and our galactic <laughs> neighborhood, um, dude. Hold on. You know, people second. are adding on it for it's been decades and they're gonna keep adding on to it. Someone but. someone in the chat just said, and it gave me a like we can't even trust listening to the galaxy. Because <laughs> someone, Anthony Garcia said, but we got a sick moose call. Kind of want to use it. And that made me think <laughs> of if an intelligent race, what if they're just broadcasting to lure us? Oh, come like, to it's like come to come yeah, here. Like, like they're a little human call, like, yep, help us over here. We got, we're we got we're looking for people, right? And then it's like come there like, haha, you're dead. They send us yeah. they send us instructions for an interdimensional or interstellar stellar vehicle with all the technology, which we build and with their instructions and leads them right back to us, opening up a wormhole from our planet to them. Dead. They don't even have to find us. They like know said, they know exactly where we, we are. We come to them. We come yeah. to them. Plus and they, a Stargate. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Kind of. Come to us. We've got <laughs> We've got candy and unlimited yeah. Wordle. You can play it all day. Oh fuck off! Yeah. Okay, um, it's not just one. To, it's not just once a day. Come get us. <laughs> and we I, go there, and then they murder, murder us, us because we fell for their calls. Something like, this exactly made me, Something this made me really reflect on was my original reaction to the movie uh, Contact. Right when I first yeah. saw it, you know, and I remember being at the end, being like, "Oh man, it's her dad." Well, spoiler alert! Oh, it's her dad. Like, man, I wanted to see some freaking aliens or whatever, and then they kind of. You know, they say like our form wouldn't be recognizable to you, or it would pretty much just drive you insane. Like you wouldn't be able to comprehend what we look like, anyways. And that's probably actually more, like that's more accurate now that I think back. I'm like, no, that was a really good, <laughs> like that is a really good ending because it's like you wouldn't be able to comprehend what they look like. 
life, and even I think Carl Sagan said it, it's like life probably doesn't look anything like what we think it does. Yeah, you know? not even they in the made realm of, of they could be yeah, made of living they could be plants, they could be living plants, they could be squid people, they could be not even anything. They could they could see on a completely different light spectrum from us. They could be fucking mantis shrimp eyes and all that kinds of crazy 80 billion yeah. different types of EM radiation, you know? <laughs> and it's like we have arms. no idea. <laughs> Anyways, really really cool theories. If there's aliens out there, those are some of the reasons why we haven't found them. Maybe it's the the great filter we haven't passed yet, or we've passed it. We're the only ones too, or yeah. and so so many different reasons. So let us know what you think. Follow us on socials. Message us. You got an email. Contact at aliantheorist.com. Yeah, theory. If you got a theory that we didn't touch on that you you you've been sinking on, like let us know. Right, the, like sharing those things is brings up new ideas. So send them to us. We want to hear them. We love we love talking yeah. about this shit. Really, so. really fun. It's just a straight old fashioned theorizing. Yeah. If we were alone smoking weed right now, this would be an eight hour case file. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be late in the night finishing with a mice and Yep. It'd be me talking about Warhammer 40K universe for like six hours. Anyways, really fun topic. Suggest you go look into all those. Yeah. If we miss something, let us know. Who do we got for Theorite of the week? Are we doing the one that I put in the group? Okay, we didn't this talk about week's that's the one. theory of the week is Josh Wright for his fucking unreal Brady Parker uh, meme that he posted. It's Braden, <laughs> it's Braden as Peter Parker, right? When he, you know, when he gets Dude, my he middle gets name's Peter. His, why you didn't say Braden Peter Parker? I don't know. I don't remember. Your, I, oh, Brady Petey Chucky, Petey Peter. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> right before yeah. he gets Every, his hand. If, bitten. if you don't know. My name's Braden Peter Charles III. I'm uh, from that's a long not true at all. Your name is fucking Dragon. Royalty. Dragon. Your name is Dragon. So <laughs> I don't anyways, care. The curse is over. It won't stick. That's not. It's gonna stick forever. It's gonna be on your fucking tombstone. Mm-mm. You've put mm-hmm. it into the the zeitgeist of the podcast now. It's everyone. part of the lore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've seen people trying, but I, Dragon. I there's a different feel about it. I just can tell this. It's not. It didn't well, stick. We'll see. So Stop trying stick. to not make Dragon happen. Because that's it's gonna happen. Just, yeah, I just really it missed it. <laughs> yeah. We really wanted to bring it back. Yeah. Either way, post a wicked picture of Braden as Peter Parker. Mind if I do some fo- 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 photography work? <laughs> pretty perfect. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's I fun. liked it. Yeah. It, it it played on my weaknesses and my insecurities, so I liked it. It's great. <laughs> good old inside Brain loves joke. questioning his self-worth like on a yeah, daily like basis a, because of the memes on the page. Yeah. If I have to look at a, if I look at a picture and then I have to do a self-reflection, uh, usually you're a theorite of the week. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a high, a high, uh, high protocol to be, Yeah, to get selected. All right. That was fun. Fun case file. I've got to give a quick honorable mention to our longest, oh, most yeah. supporting patron of all time. Drew Baca, it's his birthday. Happy 40th, brother. Woo! We appreciate Happy all the support. Drew Baca. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again. Now you put the accent on the and not the uh, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Come on, dude. Know your wiki, bro. Cont- I mean, use context clues. They'll get it. Mm, yeah, yeah. They'll figure it out. We'll use a new uh, yeah. Google Pixel phone. It'll translate for him. 
Anyways, thanks, brother. We appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, one day we'll get there, or one day you come, you come here. All right, and if you're not supporting the show and you want early access, bonus material, the live stream, Discord access, all the other good stuff, you know where to go, aliantheorist.com. This week's newest supporters, Horny 805 <laughs> Ricard Olson, Kimberly Myers, Ryan Taylor, Lyndon Shepard, and Dylan goes up to the $10 pledge. Hi, boy, Dill. How we got Daniel is my daddy. <laughs> Daniel Clouston up at $10. Stevie Erickson. Uh, we got a year-long pledge by Andrew. He's putting his own Not money back one. into the pod. Yeah. Not a chance. It's about, it's about time. We got another year pledged by Malagdar Earthrender. Dope fucking name. That's nice. a great name. Uh, Sven Jafakinkak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't even know we had a 55 per month tier pledged by Corian. Legend. Fucking beauty. It's, right it's above our top tier pledge. I don't even know Fuck how that yeah. works. A $10 pledge by Charlie Chuck Charles. Carl Ballard. Chris Marino. We got a $5 pledge by probably the coolest name on our Discord. Uh, Discord Hispanic at the Disco. That's, <laughs> That's fucking really amazing. Good. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. That's really good. Uh, we got $3 per month for the Space Mayan. And then finishing off with $5 per month by Chris Backus. Boom. Thank you very much for supporting the show. And as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. Peace. See you in after hours. <laughs>